Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. I'm John McCaskill, your host, and thanks for tuning in to the Veterans Path podcast. This podcast is just a piece of what we do. Veterans Path is actually a nonprofit working to introduce veterans and active service members to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can find a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. That's where the word path in our name comes from. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of Veterans Path, increase attendance at our retreats so we're able to help more veterans, and finally, to reduce the stigma around mindfulness, meditation, and seeking mental health support. Listeners and viewers, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a review or a like and share the show with anyone and everyone you think could benefit from our message. Also, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. All right, today my guest is Marine Corps veteran Janelle Hanf. Janelle is a SoCal native from Vista. She's a fellow Naval Academy alum. She went into the Marine Corps as a logistics officer and then the cultural support team or the CST. She's the mom of a kindergartner and married to a Marine Corps infantry officer. Janelle has experienced tough times in mental health, but today is thriving and she's still on active duty but we'll be transitioning to the reserves later this year to focus on family while staying connected to the Marine Corps. We're gonna learn a lot more about Janelle, her time in the Marine Corps and her mental health journey. And that's all here in today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is, the Marine, is Marine Corps veteran, Janelle Hemp. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Thanks for having me. How's, uh, how's SoCal treating you? It's nice. We had a, a couple weeks at the beginning of quarantine with a lot of rain, and now it's quite sunny out, but the beaches are closed, which is hard. Yeah. When's that, when's that going to be changing? Do you have uh, any, any uh, light at the end of the tunnel? We're not sure yet. Just kind of taking things one day at a time. Yeah. Same here uh, out in Virginia. Um, I, I think they're going to lighten some of the restrictions here in, uh, in the coming week or so. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of nerve wracking um, as far as, hey, should we uh, lighten the, the restrictions? Should we not? Um, there's definitely both sides to the, the coin and I, I can appreciate both sides of that coin too. So uh, thoughts are with everyone as, the, as things change and morph continuously uh, and, and as we go through this stressful time of uncertainty. So um, yeah, enough on that. Uh, I, I, it's, it's hard really right now to do a podcast without talking about that. <laughs> But I'm right. going to try not to harp on that. So I touched uh, very briefly on your bio there um, at the beginning, and there's a lot there. You, you, you actually sent me quite a bit more than that. And I, I didn't, I intentionally didn't touch on it because there's a lot in your bio that you sent me that I want to unpack during the show. So um, can you tell us what sparked your uh, your desire to be in the military, your military service, and then specifically what inspired you go to go into the core? Sure. Um, so when I was, um, I'll, I won't date myself too specifically, but I was a, a in in school um, when 9/11 happened, and um, so that was an initial spark for me of uh, wanting to serve my country. And um, part of why it tied together even though I was so young was because my school did a trip to DC and New York. Um, just a few months after the attacks. And so mm. we got to go visit Ground Zero oh, in New wow. York City. We got to visit um, all the different war memorials in Washington, D.C. And coming from Southern California, I hadn't seen things like that before. So it just made a really huge impression um, and really sparked my desire to serve in the military. Um, and then throughout the rest of my time um, in middle school and high school, 
I had a lot of teachers in my um, schools that were former um, veterans because we live um, so close to Camp Pendleton here in Southern California. And um, when I started realizing like, wait, what do all these people that I admire have in common? Um, they were all Marine officers. And so a couple um, Vietnam vets, retired colonels, a couple um, that had just served their time and not necessarily deployed, but just were really um, awesome examples of what Marine Corps officership and leadership meant. And um, just seeing that day to day over the course of, of um, you know, school year after school year, like that was like, okay, that's who I want to be. So I actually went into the Naval Academy knowing I wanted to be a Marine, um, which I think is a little bit unusual. Um, but, and it all, it all worked out. <laughs> yeah, that was actually, uh, that was going to be one of my questions. So you decided to go to the Naval Academy class of 2010, I think you said. Yep, that's um, correct. Can you tell us, um, one, more about your Naval Academy uh, time and your experience? And then if you went there with the Marine Corps as your choice in your mind, did you have a backup plan? <laughs> um. Well, let me answer the second one first because I think okay. that's a little bit easier. Right. Um, it's it's hard because you know you have to rank your preferences every every semester. I think was how we did it, and it's not a guarantee. You know, I didn't know until um, just you know maybe six months before graduation is when you find out for sure. Right. Um, so I think at the end of my service selection preferences. I think number two was surface warfare because I decided that if I had to be in the Navy, I only wanted a five-year commitment as opposed to <laughs> naval aviation. Um, but my class was the first class that had submarines open to women. And so some of my classmates took that route. Um, I remember being in a room and they're like, who wants to be on submarines? I'm like, heck no. <laughs> um, so yeah, my backup um, was SWO. And then um, just in terms of my time at the academy, I had a really awesome experience. I think I was one of those people that, um, because I went straight from high school, I hadn't experienced like a normal college experience. So all of the things that I think if someone had lived on their own before and then lost a lot of freedoms, to me, it was like, hey, I can do all this cool stuff here. Um, so I was involved in Women's Glee Club all four years. I got to do a semester abroad. Nice. Um, at a Where'd civilian school uh, in Jordan for six oh, months. Oh, really? In in Amman? Uh, in Amman, yep. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Jordan. I love I love Jordan. Yeah, and, uh, to great... the Dead Sea and to Petra and to the uh, baptismal site. Yep. Uh, yep. I spent a lot of time on uh, what is it, Circle Drive or whatever the the main strip there is in in Amman. Sorry, uh, I get sidetracked really easily. So it's okay. Me. <laughs> I mean, it's there's a lot of places that I think if you've if you're an American that has lived in Amman, we all, like, we all can talk about the different places yeah. we've all been. Um, so that was really cool. And um, probably the most, those are, you know, the most significant highlights of my Naval Academy experience. Um, I was not a like strong enough athlete to be recruited or play a varsity sport. So I did intramurals um, and like the winter musical and stuff like that. And then um, my senior year, my first class year, they started a women's ice hockey team and they were oh, nice. everybody. Um, so I was like, I've always wanted to play. Let's try that out. Um, so I got to play one season of ice hockey, That's which fun. was just a good like growth experience because I sucked <laughs> at it. <laughs> hey, that's a great way of looking at it. Uh, you're really pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Um, I'm not really good at that uh, as far as when it comes to sports. If I'm not good at it, then uh, I don't enjoy it. Uh, I guess it's just the type A ultra, uh, ultra competitive part in me. Um, but my wife has uh, really forced me to get outside of my comfort zone and some things. And I think that's important to do. So um, you're the daughter of uh, a Naval Academy grad as well. And I don't want to be presumptuous because you wrote, I'm the daughter of of a grad so is that your mother or father oh uh, that was my dad dad okay so yep. I, I at first I said you know how was that for him and I was like oh wait you know first class was what like 1980 for females it could theoretically be a female <laughs> so I wanted to make sure I covered that so okay so that was your father how was that for him seeing his daughter go to the Naval Academy and then and then into the Corps 
Um, I think it was cool. There were definitely things that um, stories or just experiences that my dad shared with my mom that like while he was back there with me going through things, she was like, I, we've been married so many years and I've never heard some of these stories before. Because, <laughs> um, you know, he was an early 70s graduating class. So um, the Academy was a different time, you know, a different sure. experience at that time. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, he had just compartmentalized it for so long. Um, and my parents had gone for a wedding anniversary um, right before 9-11, and they thought that was their one time to go to Annapolis. They never really imagined one of their kids would go. So um, I really enjoyed being able to share that experience with my dad. And um, now he's 50-year linked with the class of 2022. So I think that'll be cool, you know, like really full circle. Yeah, that's awesome. So you graduate 2010, you go off to the basic school, ultimately come become a Marine Corps logistics officer. How did you get involved with the cultural support teams in Afghanistan? And can you tell, uh, we actually recently had an Army CST rep on. Can you tell those listeners who may have missed that what the CST is and how you got involved with that? Sure. So it was... I had just checked into my unit after logistics school. Um, I was waiting and kind of in the queue to pick up a platoon commander spot, but I wasn't in a platoon commander spot yet. Um, and the, uh, the tasker came down and my unit said, hey, you know, any reason you can't deploy? I said, no. Um, and then it was kind of funny because there was still like, um, a little bit of uncertainty whether they were gonna pick me because I was so new to the fleet. But I was, I tried to fight for it and say like, hey, whatever the process is, let me apply, let me interview. Um, and they said, okay, well, you know, we're, we're not just going to pick anybody. We need to make sure you hit all the wickets. So um, they, it was a pretty tough like screening process to make sure you have the right personality because ultimately the mission is you're working alongside, um, you know, special operations teams in remote Afghan villages doing community engagement and um, supporting whatever mission the team had. So we were at a, you know, village stability um, mission was where we were. And, um, you know, you got to have like the right personality um, fit for that. Sort where of were you in that time? Because I, I actually was in Afghanistan the following year, 2000, or yeah, 2013 to 2014. And village stability operations were, were our mission. We were down in Tarrant um, and then actually ended up moving into Shank. Uh, wh where were you? Um, I was in Helmand in uh, a okay. small village a little ways north of um, Sangin District Center. Gotcha, gotcha. So mostly out west in Helmand, you were working with uh, the Marines, I guess. Mm -hmm. as, yep. a, as a CST, you were working with the, the Marine uh, guys out there doing their, their work. Because uh, we had uh, we had some Army CSTs, and then we actually had a Navy CST attached to us as well. Um, so, uh, and the work you guys, sorry, guys, gender neutral term uh, right. <laughs> is that you do is um, really, it, it's ridiculously important and something that we, I wish we had known about years ago. Um, I, I, again, wish that the CSTs have been around for longer uh, or earlier rather. So you and I have uh, spoken in the past and you mentioned um, in, in the past couple of years or so, I forget exactly, but you confronted the lack of coping skills and, and had uh, an episode at work uh, followed by a complete breakdown is what you said. Um, yep. Can you speak to us about that? And then what, what did you initially think you were going through um, and what was the help that you received afterward? Sure. So, um... I would say, you know, it wasn't specifically tied just to my experiences while deployed, but I'd say it was a combination of like just stress based off of my current situation, stress built up over time. Um, I had no idea what was wrong at the time, but basically the way it went down was I had this crazy thing happen at work where I was trying to have a conversation with a couple of people in my office, just kind of going through normal stuff um, talking about notes for the next day and I couldn't even read my notebook anymore and I was aware that like 
my head felt like it was exploding. My vision was super cloudy. The words that were coming out of my mouth weren't what I was reading. They weren't in order. Wow. Um, and, and then that must like, been scary. Yeah. And I was like looking at my journal and I'm, or my like work notebook. And I got to the point where I just was like, I don't even know what's going on. Like I can't even read this name anymore. Um, and so I like started crying. I was just like, Hey, I like excused myself from the office at that point, went and cried in my office. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Um, went and talked with another officer who suggested like, Hey, how about you just get out of here, go home a little bit early, um, go to medical tomorrow, you know, and, um, you know, go from there. And I, um, I still had a couple things to finish up so I couldn't just leave right away. And I couldn't just go to medical right away. Cause, um, I had to go pick up my son from, from daycare. So, um, I got home and I was still just like, really confused like what was that why why does my head hurt so much like why couldn't I see um obviously I waited until my vision came back enough to safely drive home yeah I was gonna um, ask how that <laughs> how that un unrolled like uh, going to pick up your little one uh, I mean that must have been scary in and of itself is is knowing that you're gonna have to get behind the wheel um and then put put your little one in the car yeah. And it was just like, I just need to get home safely right now. Yeah. Um, like that was priority number one. And then as soon as I got home, um, one of my neighbors who um, also happens to be a veteran and Academy grad um, asked me how I was doing. And the only response that I could give was to just burst into tears. And um, so then like we started trying to talk and game plan and like, okay, I'm going to take tomorrow off work. I need to go to medical. I don't like, am I just going to walk into the clinic? Like, what am I going to say? My head hurts. This, this is like what yeah. happened to me earlier today. I don't know what's going on. You know? So it was like kind of this cycle of like, I didn't know what was happening. I was scared because I didn't know what was happening. And I was also just very acutely like stressed. Oh, um, and so he offered like, Hey, how, you know, my wife can drive you to the ER tonight. And that just felt like the right answer. They were able to watch my son. Um, and it was a very like weird couple hours going forward. Cause like at that point I still thought something was medically wrong with me. Yeah. Um, eventually I got, you know, diagnosed with a migraine um, on my paperwork, you know, my blood pressure dropped like 30 points from when I checked into the ER to when they, um, let me out and the directions were just like hey follow up at medical the next day um and and then the next day you know the doc um you know so it, at first you know I still was kind of going through like maybe something's medically wrong with me um why does my head hurt so bad and the doc said like hey just start tracking your headaches see if you can identify what your triggers are um and it wasn't until you know the ER visit when I had my first experience of the pain like stopping um, and then the doctor saying hey start tracking your headaches that I realized I was having like intense painful and burning headaches like nonstop. Mm. and over time um, after like following up with different appointments and going to see different folks at medical it became clear like nothing was medically wrong with me this was just stress which for me as like Naval Academy grad, all, you know, Marine officer, mom, sure. you know, super person, like <laughs> what stress that that's for weaklings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, no kidding. I like literally burned out. Like my brain felt like it was on fire and, um, and it just took um, a lot of effort to, to get back and, um, and I really credit like the behavioral health doc that gave me really good advice and like gave me a lot of tools that, um, you know, that helped me, that helped me period. And um, it wasn't something that happened overnight. You know, it still took a, a couple more months, I think before I felt like I was starting to be good again. And then now like I got to continuously still use all those tools in my toolkit. Yeah. Um, 
So well, that's you, kind you, of an overview um, in depth, but. Well, yeah. we're going to get more in depth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there was no, there was no blast, uh, any type of TBI that brought this on. This was just, not just, sorry, not to minimize it. This was you running yourself ragged. Basically, you burned yourself out. Um, yeah, I think it was also a combination of like me beating myself up and like negative self-talk mm -hmm. to the point where um, even though other people around me were like, hey, you're doing really good. Like in my head, it was like, I suck at this. I don't belong here. I hate coming to work every day. I just don't want to be here. I hate this place. I suck at my job. And like that mm -hmm. cycle, you know, yeah. just every day. Um, instead of like, Hey, I'm doing the best I can. Um, you know, I'm doing the best with what I have. I'm proud of my effort today. You know, once I learned the flip side, I realized, okay, you can change that self-talk, but when you're in that cycle, you have to break out of it before you can start putting something new to replace that. Right. It. So you, you told me about the, the CBT experience that you've you kind of that has helped to give you strength through that um and and uh you also talk about your going dark time can uh, can you tell us about the the cbt experience what that kind of helped you how that helped you out and then describe what the go dark time is sure um so the um camp pendleton and i'm sure other bases have this too but they have a um, group sort of class, basically, that's called the CBT skills group. So cognitive behavioral therapy skills group. Um, most people are there because they are directed to be there by their medical provider. Um, we had been introduced to the program by our command team and leadership earlier in the year. And so um, after hearing about um, an experience from someone I know who had gone through it, I decided to self-refer. So that was when I was still dealing with a lot of headaches and um, still having breakdowns at inopportune moments um, and just realizing that I still wasn't in control, you know, even two months after that initial ER visit. Like I had another like 30 minute breakdown where I just was crying on a rock um, outside of a class classroom um and i was like okay i need more help and so it was a three-week program where for 90 minutes in the morning four days a week um you go and um you go through different things about um like wellness strategies and um just identifying negative thoughts and then the different you know, different mindfulness techniques that you can use. And, you know, I call it like rebuilding your safety web. Cause I think a lot of times we think that like, oh, I just need a lifeline. Well, yeah. if you only have a lifeline, that's only one. Like what happens when that breaks? Right. Um, but I felt like CBT, the way that they did the CBT skills group, it really helped me rebuild a web of support across, you know, in multiple directions. Um, and so I really, I really credit that with, um, giving me enough like touch points and lifelines where like even when COVID quarantine wiped out like half of those, I was still able to, um, to lean on the rest of the web thrive and flourish through this. Yeah. Um, and then when, uh, the go dark time piece. So that's something where I have a reminder on my phone, um, to go dark, which is just, Hey, don't check social media as much as I can. Don't check my phone. Um, sometimes those are broken up. So sometimes I'll have my phone by me, but I'm not checking social media. And then other times I just try to make sure my phone's away from me for like a couple hours at a time. Um, and that I think helps like when you're dealing with buzzing and notifications all the time, like it's really easy to get distracted and like that ramped me up. So I sure. kind of, experimented and what are things that help me stay in a place of calm um and that was one for me and um there's also times now where i'll just keep my phone on silent for extended parts of the day like i still check my phone constantly but it just sure. feels like i'm in more control right. um and then like turning off the badges so that you don't yeah. see the number next to them like 
if it's important enough, you'll check it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I always think that if it's important enough, they're going to call me. So, you know, if, if it's a text or social media or an email, um, I can get to it later. If it's something that I need to get to right now, they're going to call me. Um, although uh, if my boss is listening to this one, my veterans path boss, he will tell you that I also have my ringer turned off a lot of the time. <laughs> so maybe I need to change that. Um, but yeah, I love that go dark time. Uh, I, I think we could all deal with that. And, uh, even, even in this uh, time of hyper connected uh, virtual connections um, through COVID-19, I still think we need time away from our screens, time away from those buzzes and beeps and notifications that do kind of send us into adrenal overdrive um, and kick in our, our amygdala hijacking. So it's, uh, it's, it's stressing us out in a, in a whole different way of, of, uh, of things. So go to our time. I like that a lot. Um, you, you mentioned that that CBT skills actually had ignited the courage for you to write an AAR, which ended up being an article or a piece in the war horse that I've read as, as excellent, which is, uh, you know, my interview with Justin on Beyond the Uniform, we connected after that. You sent me your, your write-up. I was like, oh, yeah, she needs to come on the show and share this story. So can you tell us about what, what about the CBT skills inspired you to do the AAR? And then the AAR, how did that turn into the article for the War Horse? Sure. So um, it was awkward in CBT skills group being one of the only officers in the room um, and knowing that in terms of the content that we were being presented, it was outstanding. It was valuable. It was stuff I had never learned at the Naval Academy. We didn't learn it in SEER school. You know, we didn't, we didn't learn some of these tools to deal with stress that I think had I learned them like in a preventative state earlier in my career, I would have been equipped to handle the um, chronic and um, like sustained or wait, chronic means sustained. Sorry. Sure. The, whatever, like the, the intense and like overtime stress of, of military life. Um, so really as I was going through the course, I started realizing like, I'm, I'm sitting here. Most of these folks are junior enlisted, um, young Marines that are kind of doing this as a check in the box. They, um, they're going to get a lot out of it, but their commands aren't going to realize what they went through. And so part of it was also for me to be able to tell my command, like, here's what I got out of you giving me the time to go to this, um, you know, for 90 minutes a day, four days a week for three weeks. I wanted them to understand what the return on investment was. You. Um, and so that was, that was step one. Um, and then the more I started talking about it with my peers or fellow military spouses, the more I realized like everyone could relate to this like breaking point. It didn't matter whether they were in the military or what, like everyone had a story once I started sharing mine. And, and so then I would share the AAR and they'd be like, oh man, yeah, this is really helpful. And once you do that with enough like fellow captains, you know, you, you realize like, okay, well, if we're all dealing with this, like how much worse is it for everybody else? Right. <laughs> um, and then it was actually another military um, veteran writer, Marine veteran writer that encouraged me to take it to the war horse. They flat out rejected my first draft. They're like, this isn't personal enough. Like you need, <laughs> you need to make this a little more raw. And um, over the next few months, they worked with me to um, get it to the point that um, it was when it was published. And um, so I'm, I'm really grateful because it, it helped me learn and, and share um, something that I think a lot of us deal with, but we don't talk about it. And we, you know, we're all lying, like the Marine Corps says honor, courage, commitment, but we're all lying about how we're really doing. Um, and we're not putting as much emphasis on our mental health as we are our physical health. And yeah. so really that was part of my and driving. 
it takes just as much care. I mean, it's not something that you fix once and then you go on about your business. Your mental health needs to be maintained just like your physical health. It's just like going to the gym. Uh, you know, people don't go to the gym because they're broken. They go to the gym because they want to stay in shape. Well, if you can go and get mental health support throughout your time in the career, whether you're in the military or not, throughout your life, um, you're able to maintain it better. You're able to also set up that support web that, that you talked about. I like that uh, a lot. Um, and it, it's important that you have that and, and have it set up before you fall so that it can catch you if, if you need it. You also talked about um, for that article that there was one piece that got cut out and it was a piece that happened on your last day of the CBT skills group. What was that? What happened there? Um, so the, the part that got um, edited out was really like the whole spark to write in the first place. Ah, and right. um, the, I'll, I'll do my best to describe it um, as plainly as I can. There, some people might think this is a little hokey, um, but so um, one of the tools that we learned in CBT was, you know, hey, if you're in a physical situation that you don't want to be in, just imagine a different place where you could go in your mind. Um, so one of the places that I would go in my mind as, you know, as I learned, okay, well, I'll just imagine I'm somewhere else for a little while. Um, and so I called it in my head, you know, gratitude beach. And um, the last day of CBT, this vision that I had of gratitude beach was, you know, not, it wasn't just a beach, but it, um, there were other people there. And so, you know, I was taking a walk on the beach, smelling the, the sea breeze and hearing the waves crash, feeling the sand between my toes and just like that, those sensations would help me calm down and like, man, I love this place. Um, but in this vision, I saw other um, service members and friends of mine that um, were no longer with us. And then, you know, as, as, the, as the vision progressed, basically, I realized it wasn't just a small group on the beach, that the beach was full of, um, full of people and that it was um, other veterans that had died by suicide and that um, that the like the message that I got from that vision was we don't have a voice anymore but you do we can't tell people that there's hope and that their lives matter but now you know that there's this program there's these tools there's so many different resources out there you just have to be willing in that moment when you're broken and it's like you either are reaching for help or you're reaching for a step that you can't come back from. And so that was like, oh my God, I have to write. I have to write like, because I felt like I was given this responsibility to be a voice for those that weren't here anymore. And, um, and that really inspired me when like my heart would be racing as I was writing this AAR being like, do I really want to write this? Like, this is going to be my name, like my rank, my career, my CEO is going to read it. Pro like his CEO is going to read it. Probably somebody else is going to read it like dear God. Um, <laughs> but it was like, no, if I don't write this, who will? The Lance Corporal that had a suicide attempt who was in CBT, no one's going to listen to them. But like maybe somebody might listen to me or maybe not, but I still needed to share it. Um, and so it was, it was kind of hard when that, when like the final version came out and like, Hey, we got to cut this cause it, it de derails from the flow. And I'm like, you know what? I understand. Like, I'm not going to die on this hill. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, it just became something that I, that I remember and, um, yeah, I would imagine so. That's pretty powerful vision. Wow. Uh, I'm surprised and, I got through it without crying. I was going to say, you mentioned your heart racing and, uh, you know, having trouble writing that. Uh, I could tell that you were getting emotional, which is not a bad thing, not at all. I mean, being able to, to share that, that's a powerful, powerful vision uh, that, that you that you had there. So 
uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, thank you for being vulnerable enough to share that with us and not, not feeling that it's too hokey to share. Um, I mean, we are talking mindfulness and meditation here on, on, the, uh, on the podcast, so we talk about some hokey stuff. <laughs> so uh, that, with that in mind, um, in an email that you sent to me, you said the terms mindfulness and meditation feel quote unquote weird uh, to you and, and that you consider awareness to be similar and, and perhaps a, a more mainstream term or less, uh, less weird term. Uh, but can you tell us about your journey of awareness and, and you know how that came to be? It, it really started with that first, um, that first nudge from the doctor saying, start tracking your headaches. And, um, and that we're really good at, I think, compartmentalizing our physical from our mental or, you know, okay, I just got to grind through and get through today. Um, but once I started paying attention, it was like, oh, I, I'm holding all this stress in my shoulders all the time. Like, okay, well, how would I deal with that? Well, why don't I just count backwards from 10 in my head when I can tell my, sh my, my shoulders are really tense? Then it's like, oh, okay, bring your shoulders down. And then when you're aware, okay, well, maybe the tension in my shoulders is contributing to my headaches. Um, and like all these little things where, um, you know, Marines like to drink. We like to drink coffee and we like to drink alcohol. Well, both of those in too many, in too much can have negative effects. So, sure. you know, when, when behavioral health doc recommended, you know, hey, why don't you try cutting back on caffeine or why don't you try cutting back on alcohol, you know? my goal was just, I want to wake up with a clear head, this cloud in my head, I want it to go away. And so I was willing to try any tool that, that they were giving me until I felt like I woke up in the morning with a clear head. And so, um, and I think part of it is having that willingness to experiment because it's really easy to be like, ah, how could that possibly work? <laughs> That's lame. Um, you know, start a worry journal, keep a pouch with sensory things, you know, keep a little thing, you know, engage your senses when you're starting to feel stressed. Um, like all those little things, I started realizing like, oh, wait, they actually work. <laughs> and so um, I think the aw awareness was partly like self-awareness, but then also awareness of how the tools that were being recommended were having a positive impact and then having that experimentation mindset to say, okay, if this is working, I'm going to keep doing it. And if it's, and I really didn't find anything that wasn't working. Um, so, and like, I mean, I'm, I'm not on migraine meds. I was able to do all of these things through behavioral health, through um, like practical things. Yeah. And life, like dozens and dozens and dozens of little tiny life changes added up to waking up with a clear head every morning and um, being able to make it through the day without having breakdowns consistently. Nice. Oh, that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, what, are, like, if you had to, you know, drop some knowledge bombs on our listeners as far as uh, a few of those little changes that you made, uh, I mean, you just mentioned cutting back on alcohol, cutting back on caffeine. Obviously those are big ones. Um, some are the, are, are there any other ones that you could uh, share with us? Um, sure. So um, one of them that um, I found was kind of surprising was, you know, if, if one sense is overwhelmed, um, start to look at what are some of the other senses that you can engage in that moment to help basically lessen the the feeling of that one being overwhelming so it's like if you're sitting in a conversation that's starting to get heated and you don't really want to hear it okay well what are five things that I can see what are four things that I can touch um, what is something that I can smell and something that I can taste and kind of going through a checklist in your mind um, you know, and you can do that with any sort of like sequential thing. So like, okay, I can't really tune out or not be here, but what are some things that I can see around me in different colors? And then you start noticing the colors of different things in your environment. 
Um, and so I'd say that's, I think, a mindfulness or awareness technique it, as it well. Is. <laughs> that, that, in, that is a mindfulness-based stress reduction technique right there, MBSR. Yeah. Paying attention to, to the things and uh, sensations around you. So, yeah, um, nice. And then um, like the progressive muscle relaxation where you're, you're tensing and then releasing and tensing and releasing. Um, and that was helpful. And another one that I got was scheduled worry time, which <laughs> I don't need to do anymore, but it was very helpful when I needed to. And basically the recommendation was um, start like a separate workbook that for like 15 minutes a night you go through and you write down everything that's like stressing you out and you write down one thing that you could do about it but you're not gonna do it it's not a to-do list it's just like a brain dump yeah. um so that way your brain understands like it's okay to worry but don't try to worry throughout the day just try to compartmentalize it to one part at nighttime um so over time that like worry journaling actually became like gratitude journaling for nice. me. And, and I think that's another one that's, you know, been proven as well that when you start recognizing the things to be grateful for in your life, you, you start. Oh yeah. Those, those grow. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Awesome. Um, I'm going to kind of change, change gears here. Um, when you went to the Naval Academy, you took an oath of service to the country and you raised your right hand and, and you swore that oath. Um, again, in an email that you recently sent to me, you sent me a very compelling oath to live or an oath to life. Um, can you tell the listeners about, about that? Sure. So um, over the course of my journey from my breakdown to where I'm at today, um, I keep a lot of reminders on my fridge that I see every morning. Um, but I think one of the most important ones is just a commitment to live. And I think as veterans that that can resonate with us because we've all raised our hand, whether it's an oath of enlistment or an oath of commission, we all raised our hand to serve. And maybe you don't have anyone in your life that you are, that you would need to live for, but you know, I do, I have a son and a spouse that, that I care a lot about. Um, but when I was thinking about it, like if you're in a really dark place, maybe all you need to do is make a promise to yourself. And so um, I would have to like open up my email to pull it up. But um, the point being like, if you write an oath to live that's true to you and your words, um, I think mine was, is something like, you know, I choose to live. I choose to seek help if I'm in a, in a tough place and I commit to seeking help if I'm in that place that I'm not going to lose hope. So I think when you can make that choice ahead of time, it just, I think, can set you on a path to, to live in accordance with that where, you know, you're not just going down and down and down on the staircase like i'm gonna make a really ridiculous reference here but frozen 2 you've seen frozen 2 <laughs> i've got a three-year-old daughter of course i've seen frozen 2 <laughs> this the song about doing the next right thing i bawled in the movie theater when i listened to that song because that was exactly the journey out of a dark place it's like you're you don't know where you're going you just know i'm gonna do the next right thing and you know, props to Disney. They did something. I'm sure they weren't necessarily like mirroring a mental health challenge there, but uh, like I felt that that song just spoke spoke to my heart of like, hey, she's in a cave. She thinks she's lost her sister, and all of her hope is gone. And what does she do? Just the next right thing. Take a step. Take another step, yeah. and just keep going, and don't give up. And I love it. Uh, I, I love working uh, Disney or Pixar or something into the conversation. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite mental health movies is, I'm pretty sure it's Disney. If it's not Disney, it's Pixar. Um, Inside Out. Have you seen that one? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that's phenomenal. And there's, and it's got a little hockey in it too. So uh, a little ice hockey. 
if the listeners have not seen Inside Out uh, and you're looking for a uh, children's movie, but it has a lot to do with mental health, Inside Out is a phenomenal one. Um, told you I got sidetracked pretty easily. <laughs> so um, coming to the end of the show here, Janelle, uh, here I normally ask what's next for you. But I know that you're going, I even mentioned it in the intro, you're going into the Marine Corps Reserve here soon. Um, how do you feel about that transition? Because it is a transition. I mean, you're still going to be in the Marine Corps, but you're transitioning to the reserve side. And then um, when you're not with the Marine Corps drilling, uh, you know, on the weekends and the two weeks a year, are, are you doing anything outside of that employment-wise or are you staying at home uh, with your little one? Well, the goal is definitely still a day job. Um, I'm just not sure what route, what route that's going to take yet. Um, and then, yeah, my, I will still be a military spouse, a mom, um, and I really enjoy writing. So, you know, whether that's the war horse or um, medium or something else, you know, just continuing to to share some of my experiences and what I've learned because I found that, you know, for me, that is another way to um, work through things. Like whether I'm just journaling for myself or whether I'm writing something for other people. Um, and if that ends up turning into an actual like side gig, then great. Yeah. And if not, then it's just something I'm going to keep doing. Nice. Um, so we'll see, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting time. Um, I think some people would have advised me like you should extend your commitment with everything going on right now. And it's like, no, I, this is, this timeline is important. Um, you know, the Marine Corps, I love the Marine Corps. I just need it in a smaller box in my life. And I think that um, because I, ha I really value my commitments to my family, um, I will be able to value my commitment to the Marine Corps when it's a smaller commitment. Sure. Um, I get it. Totally. Um, I want to, uh, last thing, and then, uh, and then I'll open it up to you to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, but you touched on, um, your being a blue and gold officer. Um, can you tell the listeners what that is and then, uh, what that has meant to you? Sure. Um, so being a blue and gold officer is basically you're a local area admissions rep for the Naval Academy. And it means that when there are high school students or um, really anyone that's in the application process to the Naval Academy, you're helping answer questions. You're like a mentor through that process. Um, you conduct interviews with candidates as well. And, um, and you like participate in the congressional um, info nights or college nights. And what I enjoy about it is to me, it doesn't feel like work, which is, probably an, a clue that like that's the kind of work I need to be doing um, but when I'm standing there at a table like answering questions about the Naval Academy it just feels really exciting to me to see the next generation of of young people that are motivated to serve our country and you know they haven't necessarily you know some of them weren't even alive when 9-11 happened and now they're um, inspired to serve and so I think for those of us that um you know, it's kind of easy to get jaded sometimes when you're like, man, like, this is rough. This lifestyle isn't always fun. Um, but then you see somebody that's excited and motivated and really competitive for it. And you know, hey, the next generation is going to be fine. Like, I have, I have done my part in serving my country on active duty. You know, I've, I'm about to hit my 10 year mark. Like, I've served my country well, and there are plenty of others behind me that are ready and, and willing to, to take the helm and keep running. So um, I'm really excited to continue to be involved with Blue and Gold as a reservist. And then hopefully it's something I can just keep doing um, yes. because I think it's important for like a lot of people do Blue and Gold that are like already older and retired. But I think for high school kids, it's important to see people a little bit closer to them generationally um, and not just like people that are older than their parents. So sure. that's my plug. Yeah. If there's other grads listening, like <laughs> go volunteer. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, I'm a grad. <laughs> so I'll be listening. <laughs> 
So, all right. Well, uh, what have we not talked about, Jamil, that you want to make sure our listeners hear? Um, I think just one last piece of advice that I got from one of my friends. Um, so one of the one of the first days back at work after my you know embarrassing absence going to the ER, I went on a run with a with another um, peer officer, and one of the things he said to me was like, "Hey, no one says you need to make this look easy." I was like, man, that's really sound advice. Um, and I think there is this sense as like a perfectionist or a mom or a Marine, whatever, like I need to be a superhero. It's like, no, you really don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, none of us can do this by ourselves. And, you know, it's been a huge journey and I couldn't have done it alone. And there are so many people in my life that helped me at every single stage um, that I can't mention by name, but it's like, you know, we don't have to make it look easy. We don't have to do it alone. And um, when you're, when you need to ask for help, you'll be amazed at how many people in your life are there to, to step up. So. Amen. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and those, those people can be right there in with, in our family with us, or they could be all the way across the country um, and you can reach out to them to stay in age. It's, uh, it's that much easier to do uh, with all the connectedness that we have. I mean, we were talking about going black and kind of getting off social media for times, but sometimes it, uh, it pays off, right, to, to be able to connect with friends. Uh, I mean, I, I still uh, stay in touch via text and, uh, and social media with, with my roommates from the academy, and, and uh, we still give each other grief via text uh, and, and support as well. The grief is the grief's just another form of support. <laughs> well, uh, Janelle, what if uh, people wanted to reach out to you to find out more about your article, find out more about you? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, the best way is just LinkedIn message. Um, and then I think that's probably what I'll stick with for now. Um, I can give you, I, I only have a couple medium articles so far, but I could give you the link to that. Um, if yeah, you want to read, read some more of what I've written. Um, Shoot me those, uh, shoot me those yeah. links. I'll make sure that they are in the show notes when, uh, when I publish this. So Janelle, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit better. And uh, thanks for being so open and vulnerable with your story, your, your background, your vision uh, that, that uh, you know, again, was so powerful. So thank you for, for sharing that with us. Thank you for having me. And uh, I appreciate the time today. All right. And until we talk again, stay safe and stay healthy. For our listeners, thanks for listening to our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends and family. And remember, listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.